Good morning. This day has been a while in coming. I, uh, I just got to start by telling you a story. Back when I was 19, 20 years old, right around that age, Colette and I were students at Ozark at the time. It was called Ozark Bible College down in Joplin. And every... Tuesday and Thursday morning, we had chapel services. Sometimes a professor would be the one who would preach. But a lot of times they would have an alumni from years gone by come in. Maybe 10 years earlier, 20 years earlier, they had graduated from the college. Sometimes it was 30 or 40 years earlier. Um, and one thing they used to do, at least back in that time, don't know that they do it anymore, is they would have these elaborate introductions. Um, you know, they would not only tell their name, and if they were an alumni, what year they graduated from Bible college, but they would also tell about their ministries that they had held over the years. And they would start naming the churches. They served at such and such church. And then after that, they served at such and such church. And then they served at this other church. And then they served at this other and after enough of those had happened during different chapel services, I got to where I'd be keeping track of how many churches were listed off. Because it wasn't uncommon for there to be eight, nine, ten churches listed off. And I would lean over to Colette and I'd say, I wonder why it's such a hard thing for him to hold down a job. <laughs> And I wasn't joking. I mean, it's kind of direct of a question, and I obviously didn't ask it to the speaker, but, but those were my thoughts. And I would even calculate things in my mind. I would approximate how old they are, and if when they graduated, if that date was given, then I had something really to work with besides appearance. And I would figure how many years they'd been in ministry, and then how many churches had been mentioned and I would divide, and I'd come up with, wow, it's like they averaged two and a half, three years at a church. And I remember thinking at that time, and I'm still a student at Ozark. I'm preaching some on the weekends at small churches, stuff like that. But, but I remember thinking at the time and making it a matter of prayer that I was asking the Lord that when I get out of Bible college and and I'm involved in full-time work in the church that I hope I only ever serve in two or three churches tops by the time, you know, it's time to go into my twilight years. And, uh, you know, and I don't know that I'm in my twilight years, but it's certainly not midlife because I'm not going to live to be 124, okay? So... Uh, um, but being in my 60s, you know, I'm, I, I feel like God has answered that prayer because I've only served in two churches. One church in, in uh, West Central Illinois and then this church here at Crossroads. Initially, when I thought about today and what was going to be happening here today, I, I thought this was going to be an emotional Sunday. 
And it may still turn out that way. But I really don't think it will be so much, for me anyway, um, as emotional as what I once thought it was. Because, because I truly believe that for me, the emotional part of this is something I worked through 18 to 20 months ago. Because it was at that time, we, we were kind of going full steam into um, getting resumes of, to consider, to interview, and all this in regards to this succession plan and who it was that was going to become the new lead pastor. And so we started having these Zoom meetings, and we had at least two Zoom meetings with each candidate. Some we had more than that. Um, and, and there was a bunch of them. And to me, that's what was really making this real. And so that was like 20 months, 20 plus months ago. And so that, that was kind of an emotional thing. Not so much that I shed tears, but emotions can be surfacing in other ways. Um, and then we took two of, of the cream of the crop of who we talked to that we felt the best about as elders of this church. And, and we invited them to come spend a weekend here and to get a feel for the congregation and the community, and for us to get a better feel for them in person. And that was making all of this so real. And so, so in a very um, true sense, that was the emotional moment, for the most part, for me. And now, over the last 19-plus months that that Kurt's been here, and as we've been gradually moving toward this date, um, you know, it's kind of gotten to the point where I'm ready, as I think most people here in the church are, are ready for this transition to take place. So today, what I want to share with you are going to be a few thoughts. Mark Palmer contacted me on Thursday and said, I've got to have a title to this sermon, Brad. <laughs> And because I had been dragging my feet on that. And even on Thursday, while I was writing down some of my thoughts of what I was going to share, I said, all right, well, here's your title. And there it is. <laughs> it's uh, a lot of thought been put in that. Some thoughts. And the only other thing I could think of as a title were Brad's ramblings. And I thought, that just doesn't sound, that sounds even less spiritual. So, so we'll just, we'll just go with this. So I'm going, I'm going to share a few things with you. I'm going to share a little bit of insight with you, a little bit of encouragement as well. Um, and and I, do want, I do want to share a little bit of history with you. So you have a, a greater appreciation for the church that you're a part of, okay? Because it's part of our story as a church. 29 years ago, I was in a good situation. I was serving in a church and had been in that church for a number of years. I had gone through two rounds of cancer while I was in that church, and that church rallied around us. and We, we were tight. We were close. Had a lot of good relationships in that church. It was a comfortable setting for me personally. It was a solid church. There was no division in that church. And, and it was good working with people. The eldership, I loved all of them. And uh, everything they did indicated that they loved me. This church was set in a rural setting. If you look at an atlas, you will not find Burnside 
Illinois because the town's not big enough to be listed in an atlas. You have to have a state map to see it. The town's only 100 people on a good day. It's a real small place surrounded by farmers and fields. But that's where, I, that's where I grew up. That's where I had been the majority of my life. And so those were the people that I could relate to and, and felt comfortable with. The church that I was serving in was a growing church. I mean, all, in, all the indicators were positive. During the time that I had been there, we grew to 225 in attendance each Sunday. And that's in the town of 100 people. And, and there was another church in town too. So, you know, you, you figure that. We, we were growing so much, we were outgrowing our building. And we were talking about the leadership was discussing a building project. We were going to add on a sanctuary. A 400-seat sanctuary in a little town like that. And it was in the middle of all of that that the CEA made contact with me. The CEA is, stands for Christian Evangelizing Association of Kansas. They're all about starting new churches throughout the state of Kansas in areas that there aren't good Bible-based churches or in high-growth areas. Johnson County during the 80s into the 90s was a high-growth area. And so the CEA had targeted Shawnee. They contacted me in November of 1993. And a couple of the guys that were on the executive board knew me because I grew up in Shawnee County, the other side of Topeka. You've heard me possibly talk about that. And so I knew two of these guys personally. And so I was contacted by the CEA and they were challenging me to consider coming back home to Kansas to start this church. And, and with that invitation, they hardly had time to punctuate the sentence, and I gave them my answer. I said, no, I'm not interested, because we got a good thing going on over at Burnside Christian Church in Illinois, and I don't want to leave this church. It's not a good time to leave them. A lot is happening. It was a month later, late in December, actually it was during the week between Christmas and New Year's, and, and Colette and I had brought the boys back. Her parents and my parents lived in Shawnee County, or back at that time lived in Shawnee County, and, and, uh, and so we were visiting family, and I ran into one of the guys that was on the CEA board. And he issued the invitation again. He said, Brad, we would really love to have you come start a new church in Shawnee. And, and I answered just as quickly again. I said, no. In fact, that time, as I recall, I, I'm pretty sure I laughed, you know, because it's just, it just funny. They're asking me, it's just a month later. I've already answered this question. So no, no. And, uh, and then ended up going back to Illinois. And, and we were gearing up because we were starting to draw designs of our 400-seat auditorium. We were getting ready you know, to, um, in a few months, have a congregational vote uh, to do this, to proceed with that project. And then sometime in the latter part of January, I get a letter in the mail. It's more like just an envelope. And inside of it, there's just a little note that says, Brad, 
this is the address you send your resume to. And then it gave an address. And that was it. And I just, I just thought, man, the persistence of these guys. And, but at the same time, when, when I was thinking about that, you know, it dawned on me that I really seriously hadn't prayed about this. I was so quick in my answers because I felt so comfortable, like I said before, and because I felt like there were some dynamic things that were happening in the church that I was at that um, I couldn't do it. But I'd never prayed about it. And I thought maybe all of this repeat invitation type stuff has something to do with God. Maybe he's in the mix of it. And so I, I need to be careful not to rule that out. And so I decided to pray about it. And over the next few days when I was praying about it, somehow there was a certain question that kept coming to my mind. And I don't know where the question exactly came from, but... But the question, you know, it kept surfacing in my mind. And I'll word it like this, because it was right along these lines. Has God clearly worked through me in advancing his kingdom? Now, I was 34 years old, just turned 34, in fact, when um, this last invitation came. And, and, you know, and I got to thinking, all right, I'm 34, and... In view of this, if this was the end of my life, how would I answer this question? Has God clearly worked through me in advancing his kingdom? And and the answer that I had, in all honesty, the answer was, yeah, yeah, I think so. And when I went to sleep that night, that answer haunted me. Because I found something about it unsettling. I thought, all right, well, let's fast forward and let's say, you know, I I was in the twilight years of my life. And I was looking back over the decades of life invested in ministry. And that question was being asked. And that was my answer. Yeah, I think so. And there there was something unsettling about that. That bothered me. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I wanted a more definite answer than that. I wanted to be able to, when that question was asked, I wanted to be able to say, oh, yeah, definitely. There's no way some of the things that have happened over the years would have happened if God wasn't involved. And God stepped in and bailed me out of situations and stuff like that and used me in ways that were beyond my ability or capability. And, and it also, during that time, it became apparent to me that one of the reasons I was being so quick in answering the question with a no was because of this little thing called fear. And the whole thought scared me of coming to Shawnee and doing this. Because the CEA does not provide a core group for you. Um, they, they just provide financial support and then encouragement. But the strategy and all of this kind of stuff, that's up to you. The finding of a core group and stuff, that's up to you. And those of you that have ever stood close to me during a song service, you know I'm not gifted when it comes to music. 
And so the whole thought of coming into a setting like this and starting a church from scratch, it's like, what will we do about music? I had no clue. And so all of that kind of stuff scared me. I'd never done it before. I'd never started church. I'd never had any special training in church work. I'd never lived in suburbia before. I'd always lived in rural settings. In fact, in Illinois, uh, half the time we were out there, we were surrounded by corn and soybean fields. This clearly was going to take me out of my comfort zone if I did it. And, and on top of all that, there's the question, what if I failed? And I'd never researched this sort of thing before, but when I started probing and asking certain people questions, I found out that when new churches start, the minority of them succeed. The majority of them close their doors hardly after they get started. And so what if I failed? And so I realized that fear was a big player. It wasn't the only player by any means, because like I said, I was comfortable where I was. I loved the people. Exciting things were happening there. But fear was certainly a part of all of this. But, but then it's just like God helped connect the dots in my mind. And that was a big part of the reason why I needed to say yes. Because if I did this, I would be in over my head. I would have before me something that needed to happen that I was pretty convinced I couldn't do. And I thought, maybe that's exactly where I need to be so God can swoop in and bail me out. And then one day I can look back and say, has God clearly worked through me in advancing his kingdom? I said, emphatically, absolutely he has. And so I went to Colette and I told Colette that I am going to send a resume in. And Colette, when I was telling her, her response was she just smiled at me. And she said, I was hoping you would the entire time. But she wasn't going to twist my arm or push me to do something that I wasn't ready to do. And so I hammered out a resume and I mailed it to that address that had been given me. The resume uh, was a four-page resume, and I'm sure I broke some rules in it, but, you know, in my naive way, I was just thinking, as long as I'm honest and truthful, then if God is in this, it's going to happen, regardless of what I put in the resume. But as long as it's truthful, I don't want to be misleading. So what I did on the reference page, the fourth page of the resume, I listed out, um, I think it was six uh, references. And I stopped and I thought about who is the one preacher that I've worked with and worked around that he and I do not click. That we've just kind of rubbed on each other. We didn't see eye to eye, you know, on things. And when that clearly came to mind who that was, I put his name at the top left corner of the reference sheet. I thought, he'll, he'll shoot straight. He'll tell the truth about me. So I put that, because if this is of God, it's not going to matter. It's still going to happen. The longest section of the resume is I devoted three quarters of a page telling my health history. How many resumes do you know that have a health history section? But I was telling about my cancer, my battle with cancer twice. 
stage two the first time, radiation treatments and, and all those surgeries associated with that. And then the second time, two years later, stage four, when my kidneys were failing and I was bedridden a good part of 1987. And I was treated for months on chemotherapy. And so I shared all of that. And when my kidneys started working again, I shared this too. I lost 75 pounds in two weeks. That's how much fluid I had that had been storing up on my body because my kidneys weren't working right. And when I went into remission, the, the oncologist told me, he said, Brad, you're officially in re remission. We're not going to say cured. And I just want you to know you have a 40% chance of staying in remission. I included that in my resume as a quote from my oncologist. Because again, I felt like as long as I'm honest, then God can show that he's in this by still making it come to pass. Next thing I know, I'm getting a phone call to come for an interview. And uh, so a day or two after Easter of 1994, uh, we met, a came with me and we met with um, a few representatives of the CEA and uh, down in Overland Park and they, they interviewed, interviewed me. And I told Colette on the way there that, that uh, okay, this is horrible timing because back in Burnside, we were within a month, it was three or four weeks, of when we were going to have a congregational vote to build a 400-seat auditorium. And, and it was like, people need to be informed whether I'm going to be there or whether I'm going to be leaving. And that was the mindset that I had. And I didn't want them voting without knowing that if I was going to leave, that I was leaving. And, uh, and so I told Colette that 45 minutes into this interview, I'm going to stop the interview. And I'm just going to ask the, the guys directly. I'm going to say, I really need to know if you are serious about me as a candidate. And, and if their response was that they really weren't sure, then I was going to close it out and thank them for their interest, but tell them, We've got to go back to Illinois. So that was the plan. Colette knew that was the plan. So here we are going through this interview. And then at a certain point in time, they kind of leaned back in their chairs, the guys that were interviewing us and interviewing me. And, and uh, they said, well, Brad, we feel like we need to let you know. We're serious about you as a candidate. <laughs> and we would like to see you come to Shawnee and spearhead the start of this new church. I just kind of casually, nonchalantly, looked down at my watch to see how much time had passed, and it hadn't gotten to that 45-minute mark yet. Clut knew exactly what was going on in my mind because I nonchalantly looked over at her, and she was just staring at me with a big grin on her face. And so it was like, all right. God kind of went the extra step there in sending a message. I told him we would pray about it on our way home and we'd get back with them in a day or two. And we did get back with him and I told them, yes, we will do this. And that's when I found myself relying on prayer perhaps more than any other time in my life. 
because I was scared. I felt like I was in over my head. Going to Shawnee, starting a church. I don't know anybody in Johnson County. I don't know anybody in Wyandotte County except for one person at that time. My oldest uncle. He was a wheelchair-bound priest. Still holding mass in a Catholic church up there. So I didn't think there was much of a likelihood he would become part of the core group of this church. (laughs) So it it was just like, and what am I going to do about music? I mean, there were just so many of these things swimming around in my mind. I established, and you heard me say this probably not long ago, um, that I established two prayer teams, one in the church in Illinois that we had been a part of, the people that we love so much, and, and also... Um, our home church, Colette's family, had been instrumental in starting in Topeka. I had only spent one year there after my conversion. And so I had these two prayer teams, and every month I was sending prayer letters out to both of them. Now, I've said this before, but you're going to hear me say it again, and you'll probably also down the road hear me say it uh, additional times. Prayer played a big role in Crossroads Christian Church being here. Prayer played a huge role in this church being here. It's part of the whole foundation in which this church was established. This church isn't here because of me. Now, I'm not trying to throw out some kind of false level of humility or something like that. I firmly believe that because this was beyond me. Some, some of the individual stories that I could tell and all, it, it was clearly beyond me how this all worked out. This church is here in spite of me. This church has God's fingerprints all over it. And that was way back in the beginning days and all the time since that time. Here a couple months ago in preparation of a sermon that I was preparing for, I spent some time in a passage of scripture in 1 Timothy. And, and uh, as I was preparing to preach that sermon, you know, I kept thinking about today. And I thought, you know, I, I need to share a thought regarding this passage concerning today. So let me show it to you. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is something that Paul is saying as he's writing to a young preacher named Timothy. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul is kind of emphasizing to Timothy that his history was that Before Christ, he was a violent man. He was a persecutor. He was out to destroy churches. If he had a vote to cast, he cast that Christians would be executed. That's the kind of person Paul was. Okay? Now look at, he's kind of building up to make a statement, and here it is. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. You know, Paul, Paul says, in hindsight, he says, I'm the worst of all sinners. 
But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. What Paul is saying here is he's saying that God has made me into being an object lesson for people. That people that may struggle with doubt, thinking that their past is too ugly, they've made too many mistakes, they've committed too many sins, it's like God won't give them a second chance. Well, then they'll look at someone like me and they'll think, wow, if God could forgive someone like Paul, then God can forgive me too. So that's what he's saying in the passage. He's saying that God has made me into being an object lesson to send a crystal clear message out for people to hear. Well, I feel like in a number of respects that God has used me as an object lesson. Not so much in that regards, although my previous life before Christ is anything but spotless. But, but what I'm referring to here today is that I feel like God has used me as an object lesson to communicate a very clear message. And that is a demonstration of the power of prayer. To communicate clearly to people. There's no other explanation other than prayer works. Prayer is powerful. And it's not just in regards to crossroads. It's regards to what had happened in 1987, the cancer I had, stage four cancer. I mean, you know, counties, the biggest town in our county out there was 3,000 people. And, and so throughout the county, most people, they knew about me if they didn't know me. And so they knew about that preacher at Burnside who's dying from cancer, stage four cancer, kidney failure, all, all of that kind of stuff. And, and there were a ton of people that were praying for us. Email wasn't a thing back then, but we regularly were, was having a mailbox full of cards and letters of people oftentimes that we did not know. And people saying, our church has you on our prayer list. Our Sunday school class has been praying every Sunday for you by name. And we were like, we don't know anybody in that church. And, and Colette, would, she would read all of these cards to me while I was spending that time bedridden. And, and, and there was so much prayer going into that. And then... My kidney started working out of the blue. And, and I lost all that fluid. <laughs> I went from 227 pounds down to 152 pounds, just like that. I got a weight loss plan for you if you want to know. <laughs> yeah. And then it was a matter of starting to try to build strength back again. Because I just hadn't done anything for so long. Prayer works. And that became evident because just as people talked about it earlier, oh, you know that preacher is dying of cancer and all. Now people were saying, oh, he's not dying of cancer. He, he's all right. He's healthy. I saw him just, just last week playing on their church softball team and stuff like that. Prayer works. And then as far as the establishment of this church, you know, it was, it was not something that, based on my talents or skills or ability or all of that. Like I said earlier, it was in spite of all of that that this church came to being. 
I have always considered myself an average Joe. Nothing has ever changed that. And, and, uh, and I feel like if God was able to use an average Joe to come in to an area that they knew nobody, and then this ended up being the result, then that wasn't because of the average Joe. It was because there was something much bigger at play here. And that's proof that prayer works. This church had a very humble beginning. I mean, I was opening Sunday and the next few Sundays, I was running the overhead projector during song service. Yeah, it wasn't a kid up there that was sliding everything the opposite direction. You know how those of you that have used an overhead projector, you know everything's backwards in that. And yeah, it's the preacher of this new church that keeps messing up the overhead projector, you know. I mean, we had such a humble beginning when we were meeting in the school just down the road. A lot of times, or I should say sometimes, when a new church starts, it starts with a big personality in the mix. We had no big personality here. And those of you that know me, which a good number of you do, you know and you should say amen. We had no big personality that was playing into all of this. We, we had no special bells and whistles that was attracting people. It was totally a God thing from start to finish. Just a gr- group of ordinary down-to-earth people, and that starts right here. God, like I said earlier, has got his fingerprints all over this church from the very beginning. And let me say something about the people that make up this church. I've been so blessed over the last 28 years to have felt, um, I've long felt, that what makes Crossroads special is the people. You know, if you read about church growth experts, writings and all, they'll say there's three rules to church growth. They'll say location, location, location. But uh, I know location can be significant, but I think the key to church growth is people, people, people. When you got the right people and you got some down-to-earth people where there's not a class system where some people are looking down their nose at others and expecting to be treated different than the average person in the church. And, and some of you guys have been around in enough churches, you know that kind of stuff does exist out there. But we have never had that here in this church. And that has been such a blessing. And I truly believe that that is a big part of the reason that, that uh, um, our efforts as a new church, have gone in the direction that they've gone, have come together. God has blessed us. Whether it be that very first year when we had our opening Sunday. Here it is, opening Sunday, and I'm as nervous as all get out because I don't know if there's going to be five cars in the parking lot or if there's going to be 50 or 150. I have no idea what's going to show up from our mailings and phone calls and various um, approaches that we have used. Well, here it is, opening Sunday, and in walks a guy I had never seen before. His name was Rusty Thomas. He immediately gets plugged into our sound system. 
He sticks around late to help us because we were a portable church to pack it all up. The next Sunday, he's there, one of the first people to arrive to help us unpack. And for years, he headed up our sound ministry. I think about, and I said this in a video a few months ago, so some of you might remember it. I remember a person I met for the very first time, and that's Pam Allen on opening Sunday. And she, she ended up, you know, as soon as we were closing out the surface and all, she was out there making sure the coffee pots, you know, were full, hadn't gotten empty, and that the donuts were being set out and all of this. And she stuck around to put all that stuff away with a couple of our core group members. And, and, uh, and guess who was there early next week helping set everything up? And she immediately became the team leader of our fellowship team, which we didn't even have a fellowship team, but she was the leader of it immediately, and she still is to this day. And it was because of that volunteerism, the spirit of that, the servant heart among the people that we had that I met for the very first time that God blessed me with. Be coming along and being able to serve alongside them that, that I, I attribute um, a degree of the success that we've had in the church to, to people like that with servant hearts. And it's been like that, not just in year one, it's been like that in this last year. It's been like that each year is that, that this church thrives on volunteer involvement. That's one of the keys with the whole ministry team signups, which you'll read that in your bulletin that that starts today. But that's one of the keys is people getting plugged in, getting involved. It has always been a key in this church. We've had so many volunteers. This church wouldn't have the personality that it has if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for all of you. I think about the first campaign that we ever did, the Building for Harvest campaign. We did this at the tail end of 2001. We were still meeting in a school at that time, but we wanted to build a building here. And this building that we have now, there's two phases. This phase was built in 2003, that phase, the two-story part, was built in 2007. And so in 2001, we were having this campaign, and we challenged people to pray about and make a commitment of how much you would give above your regular giving over a three-year time period. The consultant that we were using was saying that you will be very successful if you get double your annual budget committed to this. So we were praying hard. And the Commitment Sunday came, people gave their, their pledges, their commitments, and all of that was tallied up, and the result ended up being three times our annual budget. We were a church of about 230 people, and our annual budget was close to $300,000 at that time, and the amount that was committed for above that for three years was almost $900,000. And so to break that down, that basically means that the decisions that people had made was to double their giving for three years. To double it, because that's what it would take to reach that goal. Man, what a celebration we had. So it wasn't just the servant hearts among the people that made this church so special, but it was also the generosity that existed within the people 
that are in this church. And it's always been that way. All through the years, of the people that make up the church, oftentimes preachers have horror stories regarding churches that they served at. I remember going to church camp, and you'd always have two or three preachers oh, telling about certain churches that were in their community or that they actually served at that was known for chewing up a preacher and spitting them out every couple of years. And, and lots of horror stories like that being shared. And as a young guy in ministry, I would hear that, and it was like, man, I couldn't relate to that. And now here I am, just a little bit older than young, and uh, I still can't relate to that. I've served in two churches, and it's been nothing but a blessing. Both Burnside Christian Church and now Crossroads Christian Church, I, I do not know what that's like to be in a church where people have all these agendas and and there's, there's these attitudes and pride factors that you're continually dealing with and threats of division and stuff. I just don't know what that's like. I've never, never experienced that, and I'm so blessed in that regards. One of the things that I've taught in the Closer Look class um, that I've taught over the years many times is that I personally believe that every church has a personality a different personality from other churches. Some may resemble one another, but it's like people, even identical twins. Colette and I raised up identical twins, and even they had different personalities than one another. And, and I believe, I've always believed that in regarding churches as well, that churches have different personalities. And let me just say, there is something special about the personality that this church has. There always has been something special. Good-hearted, down-to-earth people. Don't ever lose that. Don't ever lose that. I never grew up with a pastor that inspired me or served as a mentor for me. I never had that. Some preachers have had that, and good for them, because I would think that would be a special blessing. But I, I never had that, having made a decision right before I was making a decision about college and everything. Um, and so when I stepped into ministry, my inspiration that I decided this is what I need to follow actually came from a chapter in the Bible. It's Acts chapter 20. And it's the Apostle Paul. He is meeting with the elders in Ephesus. It was a church he started a number of years earlier, and then he went and was starting other churches after he had spent some time in Ephesus, and now he's on his way back to Jerusalem. So he goes to Miletus, because he doesn't want to get tied up too much in Ephesus, and sends for the elders to come down to Miletus. And, and he shared a number of things with the elders. He shared with them the importance that they need to be on their guard they need to be protecting the flock, um, keep watch, because there are false teachers up out there. There are savage wolves that might even rise up from your own midst, and you need to be on guard against that. Uh, and, and also, when you read the second half of Acts chapter 20, you're going to see that there's definitely some emotion being expressed between Paul and the elders. They had a meaningful relationship with one another. And that really caught my attention. You know, and so I'm thinking that, okay, this, this is part of the ministry I want to be a part of. 
is, is I want there to be meaningful relationships. Thus, part of the reason I didn't want to be like a rock skipping on the top of the water. I wanted to stay longer in churches to develop meaningful relationships with people and all. But part of what Paul went on to say was this. And boy, these words just jumped off the page and hit me right between the eyes. Acts 20, verse 20. He says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul's saying, I never held anything back. If I thought it would be beneficial to you, I taught it to you, whether it was individually or whether it was as a group. He goes a step beyond that and he says this, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And that's what I see in that is Paul saying, I didn't just tickle your ears with subjects that would put a skip in your step and make you feel good or laugh that were humorous or sensational topics that would wow you. I also talked about subjects that would step on your toes and would make you uncomfortable. It was the whole counsel of God, the whole will, the word of God that I shared and so my prayer has always been in ministry that when, when the time comes that I'm in the closing days or months or years or whatever uh, of a ministry that, that I would like to hope that that's the way people felt about my teaching and my leading is that I didn't cherry pick the sensational or the happy passages but I preached all the passages, even the difficult ones. And that brings me to the whole reason today's happening and all of that. We're at that period of time where we're ready to start a new chapter in the life of this church. Now, a lot of things are going to stay the same. We have the same staff for the most part in the days moving forward. We got the same eldership, but we will have a different lead pastor for the very first time in this church after 28 years. And let me just give you a little bit of insight into Kurt and why the elders um, decided to invite Kurt to come and be this person. Is that um, we had certain things that we were looking for when we were interviewing the other candidates. We were looking for stuff like character. I mean, that, that was up there on the list, high on the list, character. We were looking for work ethic. That was a valuable, you know, um, um, character trait that we were looking for. But what, one of the things that is right at the very top of the list that we were looking for is that we were looking for a person that was committed to teaching the word of God and being able to do that effectively. And that actually is the thing that caused us to settle on Kurt. Because that is a value that has been a value here for a long time, is the word of God and the transmission of that message. And, and we felt like Kurt can do a bang-up job in doing just that. So I want to encourage you to be praying for Kurt. I know a number of you have been for some time now. I want to encourage you especially now to be praying in a very intentional way in the weeks and months to come.
Pray that God would give him discernment, that God would give him wisdom in his decisions and as he leads the church. Um, There are inevitably things, and I say this from experience, there are inevitably things that will surface and pop up from time to time that you don't want to pop up that are difficult things to deal with. That's why you need to keep your pastors in prayer. Because oftentimes behind the scenes, there are things that are being dealt with that you don't realize. And it can really suck the joy out of ministry. And so be praying, praying for Kurt, you know, in the days ahead, that God will protect him and that God will lead him and and give him discernment in, in the kind of decisions and the like that he's making. Just so you know, I am glad that I came to Shawnee. As hard of a decision as that was so many years ago, I'm glad I sent in that resume. I don't regret it being four pages. I'm glad I sent it in, though. This church will always hold a special place in my heart. And I'm not saying that because I'm saying goodbye for good. You guys know the drill. I'm going to be gone for four months, and then I'll come back. But I will come back and serve on staff in a different role than what I have been. But this church will always hold a special part, a special place in my heart. And a lot of that is due to the relationships that have been built over the years. It's been like a bonus blessing that I've experienced being able to build these relationships, which I don't know they would have happened if I had only been here three years. But being here as long as I have, it's made that possible. It has been such a blessing. I've, I've... Oftentimes thought, I remember thinking this when I was in my 20s, and I still think it today in my 60s, that it is incredible, it's amazing that I'm able to do what I'm doing, what I feel led to do, what I enjoy to do, and I get paid for it. It's like a bonus, seriously. And and it has to do with the people. It has to do with the people. The old timers, the old friends that we go way back, but also the new people as I strike new relationships and begin that journey. I have never, ever in all of my ministry asked for a pay raise. I never have. That's a big part of the reason why. is because I feel like I'm cheating people already getting paid for what I like to do. God has really been blessing me over the years for that. I thank him for that, and I also thank you for that as well. Let me say this, and and I really believe this, and I'm going to show you one last passage, and I'll be done. I believe, and I truly believe this, our best days are still in front of us. I believe we've had a lot of good days over the years. I reflect, and They just put a smile on my face as I think about some of the stories, some of the things that happened. But I truly believe our best days are still in front of us. And that's exciting when you realize that. And and again, I thank you for being part of that. And this passage reinforces that. Ephesians chapter 3, the last couple of verses says this. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Don't underestimate what God can do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church, and I thank you for us being able to clearly see that the only reason this church is here is because of you. With some of the changes that are happening, we know there's one thing that clearly will not change about Crossroads, and that is the head of the church will continue to be the head of the church, your son, Jesus Christ. And that is not going to change. And we celebrate that, and we celebrate that we're able to be a part of his body. And Father, I pray that your hand of blessing would be upon this transition and moving forward that, that there will continue to be the evidence of your fingerprints at work. The fact that you are involved in what is happening. And might we be quick to give credit to you where it belongs all along. And for this, I thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We wanted to do something fun and make fun of uh, Brad a little bit on that serious note. <laughs> so you know this song, um, and feel free to jump in on the chorus when you hear it, okay? You can see the name of the song right there, so...
You may have a seat for just a moment, if you would, please. And thank you for appreciating all four of these that are up here on stage. And uh, we as the elders, myself, Bob, Chris, and Gary, want to take this time to echo what you are already doing of, of blessing these couples in their leadership in the church. So we'd like to take a little bit of time to uh, pray with them and uh, bless Brad and Colette as they begin this journey of a, of a uh, sabbatical and then coming back and continuing to serve, but also blessing Kurt and Jennifer as they uh, begin to take on this role of the leadership and, and uh, the lead pastor here at Crossroads. There's a passage of scripture, if we could put that up on the slide right now, uh, that I think expresses uh, our heart, and I hope that it expresses your heart as well. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And as you look at Brad and Colette, it's easy to see because we're surrounded we are the outcome of, the way, of their way of life. And Brad's whole preaching, Brad's whole ministry, from beginning to whenever it ends, is living a life of faith, and we are to imitate that because he's imitating Christ. And that's what Kurt will do as well, urging us to ultimately imitate Christ in our life. So let's take a moment to pray. I'm going to ask Chris and Gary to pray for Brad and Colette, and then Bob and I will pray for Kurt and Jennifer. Let us pray. Holy Father, uh, I lift up Brad and I lift up Colette as they are ending one chapter in their lives and they are getting ready to start a new adventure, a new chapter. And I know they're getting ready to, to be gone from us for about four months. Father, I just ask that you protect them on their journey as they travel. Keep them safe. Keep them healthy. Renew their lives. Renew their strength. Renew their commitment to you in every way that they can. And bring them back safely in the end or the first of July as they begin new roles within this church. They've been a blessing to all of us, as they, as they have shepherded our flock for 28 years, and they've built this church from, from basically them to what it is today. And we are certainly blessed to be a part of that flock and to have them as our leadership. So I offer all these prayers up through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen. Yes, Lord, we want to lift Brad and Colette up at this time. My goodness, how fast 28 years goes by. As Brad says, God's fingerprints were all over this mission here at Crossroads. Brad was a humble person, a humble servant who preached the word in season and out of season, whether we wanted to hear it or not. Sometimes he made us happy. Sometimes he made us sad for what we had done. He reminded us of our sins that we were trying to put under the rug. We thank you for Brad and the message that he gave us and 
what he said, it was all in God's plans. It makes me shiver sometimes if you've never heard the story of the way the land was, we bought the land from the farmer and what happened after we bought the land, it sends shivers up and down my spine every time I hear that story. Only God had a plan and could be involved in that story. We thank you for the many years that we had. I know in the 20 years that my family has been here, we have been blessed many times. And as Brad transitions into the pastoral ministry, he is well equipped for that. I, and I think he is a good servant that will comfort and all of us that in his flock, as he has done. I know in many times this 20 years, he has comforted me and my family in our weddings, our funerals, and the other problems that we had and, the, and that had happened in our lives and all the problems. Brad has been there walking beside us, just as God is with us always. And also, I would like to pray for this transition for Kurt and his wife and welcome him into the family of God here at Crossroads. In your name we pray. Amen. God, we thank you for bringing to us, Kurt and Jennifer, the Witten family. Uh, what a blessing and uh, what a, uh, a celebration for, for them being here and uh, for uh, Kurt taking the baton in this transition. Uh, we ask, God, that you continue to strengthen their relationships. First, the relationship that they have with you through Jesus Christ, that Kurt can continue to be uh, understanding your will, God, as he teaches us, as he serves us as senior pastor. Uh, we, we ask, God, that you be in their relationship with each other and, and keep that strong as they support each other as Kurt takes on this new role. Uh, we ask, God, that you strengthen the relationship they have here with this church body, uh, with this community, and as um, Kurt serves uh, throughout this, uh, this community and, and into the world to, uh, to do your will, uh, to uh, replicate the, the model that Jesus gave as a servant leader. God, just uh, give him the courage, the strength, the wisdom to uh, glorify your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Father, we continue to pray and, and just uh, we cannot help but praise you for all that you have accomplished in our lives as individuals, as families. We praise you for Brad and Colette, their ministry, and all that has been accomplished under their leadership. We thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to, to bring this to where we are today as a church. But we praise you also that you have raised up Kurt and Jennifer and their family to come to minister to us, with us, alongside us. We thank you for bringing them here. And we know that your Holy Spirit is going to continue to use them to be a blessing to this church, to this community at large and beyond. So we pray that as a church, we can continue to serve you wholeheartedly, continue to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I pray that as Kurt continues to preach and to lead us on into the future, that you'll use him just as powerfully and just as mightily as you've used Brad. Lord, we praise you that you love us, that you care for us, 
and that you have given us your Holy Spirit to empower us, to serve you, and to reach the community around us with the love, the grace, and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. At this time, we're going to ask that uh, Brad and Jennifer, Brad and Jennifer, Brad and Colette, <laughs> Kurt and Jennifer, we're going to give them a chance to go out and get in the, the entryway because we know you're going to want to greet them as you leave. But would you stand with me at this time, and we'll dismiss with our time of prayer. Gracious Father, thank you for this church, for this body of believers. Help us truly to always hold up your word as the standard by which we live our lives. And help us to truly keep Jesus Christ at the heart, the center, the focus, the very essence of our being. Because without Jesus, we are absolutely nothing. So we thank you for him, that he is the head of this church, and that we are his body, serving and glorifying you in everything that we say, everything that we do, both as individuals, as families, and as a church. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.